Hey, faithful listener. Thanks for tuning in to the P40 Ministries daily podcast. This podcast is dedicated to helping you grow spiritually so you can grow personally. Let's grow together by building a consistent Bible reading routine. This is Jen, your host, and today we will be discussing the book of Exodus. Hey, good morning, friends and faithful listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to the P40 Ministries podcast with your host, Jen. And I have a special guest on the podcast today. This is Pastor Bill McMinn of Eagleville Bible Church. And uh, he's a pastor, obviously, but I would love for him to introduce himself to the audience of P40 Ministries. So, Bill, tell us a fun fact or something. So by the time this airs, I will have been at the church for 31 years, Wow! which is kind of cool. I came out of seminary. I was a rookie and I came to Eagle Bowl Bible Church and I've been here ever since. So that aside from other fun facts, I mean, I love helping people, love doing that. Anything like this podcast, we do a couple of podcasts ourselves. And then as far as hobbies, fun stuff, kayaking, photography, buying and selling antiques, all kinds of stuff. So well, that's interesting. We've over the years. He was telling me a little bit about his TikTok account that he has. And he yes. he does mostly like hiking and sunsets and kayaking, he was saying. So tell us about that a little bit. Well, it's fun. I got into it a few years ago. And then we just, like anything that I get into, I just go all in. And so we've been out on the water 39 times this year uh, so far, been all over everywhere from Lake Placid up to Lake Superior, uh, Cleveland, the Rocky River, you know, all kinds of different locations we've gone to. So it's been a lot of fun. And then as we go, because I'm a photographer, so I'm basically, I'm a photographer in a kayak is kind of how I look at it. So we try to go to scenic places that are good to photograph. We like Ashtabula County because that's where I'm from. It's home base. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I like nature. I like anything outdoors. You turn me loose outside, I'm just a happy guy. Me too, except bugs. I don't like bugs. <laughs> well, you've had a lot to contend with the summer because there have been a lot of bugs. Oh, yes, there has been. It's been wet. Oh, bad, right? Mm-hmm. It's been bad with those mosquitoes recently. Well, not recently, but man, this summer was just horrible with those mosquitoes. I was getting eaten alive. <laughs> Every time you go outside, we always talk about our nice summers. You can get outside. Well, yeah, you can technically go outside because you're not too hot, but the mosquitoes are going to drive you right back inside if you're not moving. Like when I run, they don't bother me. I can run on the trail. I don't get bit by mosquitoes until I stop. So yeah. just don't stop. Then you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> just don't stop. That's good <laughs> advice. <laughs> out of the water and kayaks, you don't see, you don't have that problem. You go out kayaking, you go out in the lake. You don't you don't get bit up by mosquitoes at night. Really? So, yeah. See, I wouldn't expect that. I, I'm not really a, um, a boater, but I wouldn't expect that because I would think that mosquitoes like water. So that's they interesting. Do, but they like they like places to hide. They can't be out there. That's why you're going to see them more where you have trees and ponds, lakes. Yeah, they'll be at the edge, but they're not going to be out there. So it's mm. kind of nice actually. See another reason why somebody should pick up a kayak and get out kayaking. There's really no mosquitoes out there. <laughs> that is uh yeah that is some good advice but we're not here to talk about mosquitoes we're going to talk about exodus chapter 29 verses 1 through 14 today so as i always do i'm going to be reading out the web version of the bible and pastor bill is going to help me out here and he's going to answer some questions for me regarding this um, portion of scripture so let's go ahead and start and uh, grab your cup of coffee and i will start reading 
This is the thing that you should do to them to make them holy, to minister to me in the priest's office. Take one young bull and two rams without defect, unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers anointed with oil. You shall make them a fine wheat flour. You shall put them into one basket and bring them in the basket with the bull and the two rams. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water. You shall take the garments and put on Aaron, the tunic, and the robe of the ephod, the ephod and the breastplate, and clothe him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. You shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. Then you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head, and anoint him. You shall bring his sons and put tunics on them, and you shall clothe them with belts, Aaron and his sons, and bind headbands on them. And you shall have the priesthood by a perpetual state. You shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. And you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. And you shall kill the bull before Yahweh at the door of the tent of the meeting. And you shall take the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger, and you shall pour out all the blood at the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat that covers the innards, the cover of the liver, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them, and burn them on the altar. But the meat of the bull and its skin and its dung you shall burn with fire outside of the camp, because it is a sin offering. So Bill, what stood out to you the most regarding this portion of scripture? I think what stands out to me is the when they're killing the bull and they lay their hands on it. And to me, I think of the idea of sin of the priest, because what they're doing is they're trying to consecrate this guy and get him ready to do the service to God, who's a holy God. So they're trying to get him so his sins are gone and he can actually do that ministry. So when he's putting his hands, like I just have that idea of like kind of like the scapegoat on the Day of Atonement, that you're putting your sins because they're going to take part of that bull and they're going to take it outside the camp which I thought that was interesting too, because they put part of it is a burn offering, but it's also a sin offering. So it's burned outside of the camp. And I think that's a picture of God taking away sin. So I'm, I have to transfer my sins somewhere. And that's still our belief right today through Jesus Christ. that so we've got to transfer our sins. My sins go to him, his righteousness goes to me. So all this Old Testament stuff is kind of setting up the need for Christ to come. So that's one thing that stands out. And the other thing that stands out is I'm just glad we don't have to do this stuff today, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm glad we don't have to go through the, all this official rigmarole and uh, that kind of nature. Yeah, it is a lot. But I mean, even if you see this here with Aaron, he's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a lot, but it's very beautiful. I mean, think about these gorgeous clothing, clothings that Aaron was putting on himself. You know, there's a crown and there's a robe and a tunic and all this beautiful stuff that Aaron has to put uh, on. Yeah. What was that? Right. The ephod too. Yeah, the ephod. You know, you have to put all the stones and... Okay, so what's an ephod then? That's where they would have the understanding, they would have the 12 stones represent the 12 tribes of Israel, as far as my understanding of it, you know, if I'm thinking of that breastplate that they're they're putting on, and then they would have the, what they call the Urim and the Thummim in there, and when they were seeking God's counsel, they would actually roll it to say, is this something you want us to do or not? And I mean, this comes to play with David, uh, later on in the Bible, the priest would come and take that and try to discern God's will uh, via that means. So yeah, I think it was just a, a way of, of representing, he's carrying all of the tribes with him. You know, so when he's there, there's a lot of symbolism in this, isn't there? Yeah, and you got the twelve stones representing the twelve tribes, and he is the priest is clearly representing the tribes before God. I mean, that's his job. Uh, in the Old Testament, you have to come through with you're coming to God through the priest. So you can't come to God like I can't come to God in the Old Testament time just by myself. I can't go sacrifice an animal by myself or do anything like that. I have to come through 
the actual priest. And he's always that person. And you think of when Christ died, again, going into the New Testament, the beauty is I don't have to come through the priest anymore. I don't have to go to anyone else. I can just go straight to God because when Jesus Christ died, he opened up that way. But that way hasn't been opened up yet. So to me, as beautiful as it is, he's the only guy that can go into that presence of God. He's the only guy that can atone for the sins of that nation. He's the guy. Aaron, I can't do it. So if I was an individual there, I couldn't do it. I had to rely on him. Today, we rely on Christ. Christ has taken the place of this high priest. And so I... There's actually... Oh, I'm sorry. There's there's actually a verse in Hebrews that when you were talking, kind of reminded me of. It, it says in Hebrews that Jesus does, in fact, nowadays, since we're under the new covenant, he has become our high priest. Absolutely. So... And he can yeah, so there's weaknesses in Hebrews 4, 16, 14 through 16. Yeah, it's a great passage. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's some good uh, symbolism you give us there that, um, <clears throat> you know, we don't have to do this anymore because we already have a high priest. We don't have to go right. through the ceremonies because Jesus took care of all of it for us. Right. And, uh, you know, he, he died on the cross for us and he has become our high priest that we go to God through, if that makes sense. But it, it, I think it does, it, it does matter today because sometimes there's a, there's a thinking out there that if you come to, let's say, if somebody comes to good old Pastor Bill and Pastor Bill prays that somehow my prayers are going to get to heaven faster than your prayers. <laughs> you're somehow closer to god where i look at it no we believe in what they call the priesthood of all believers today like everyone has access to come to god everyone can pray and that's pretty awesome so it's not like i've never believed that my prayers are the ones that are gonna get to heaven faster than anyone else's prayers because i don't have any more right to be there than you do we're all on everyone's on equal standing since christ and i think that's a beautiful concept that's really i, I like that you uh threw that in there because I, I I agree with that. And I remember I used to fall into that. I was like, oh, if my pastor could just pray for me, maybe I'll get to, you know, do this or that faster or whatever. Right. <laughs> I remember thinking that. So, yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that in. because right. We have denominations today that have to go to the priest for confession because they see a tie in with the Old Testament and they see church as a continuation of the Old Testament where we see the church as the church. You know, the church is a church through Christ. We're the body of Christ. We don't have to worry about what they did in the Old Testament. It's instructive as far as we see the seriousness at which God takes people doing the wrong thing. We take how serious it is mm-hmm. to come before God. And I think that we that kind of reverence, I think, is still important. I don't think that Christ coming to die for my sins should erase reverence. I should still come before God and be serious when I'm praying. And even I have to remind myself, hey, remember who you're talking to, Right. Because think about how easily you get distracted. I, I mean, we come before God and pray. We could be, hey, God, this and that. Next thing you know, we're looking at a text. So I think <laughs> there's always a good challenge for ourselves to say, hey, you know, it's a serious work to, or not work, I shouldn't say, but it, God's, he's awesome. He's incredible. And we get the opportunity to come and pray to him. It's amazing. Yes. When I did my podcast episode with Casey a couple weeks back, we were actually talking about that, um, you know, how... Oh, what were we saying? We were saying stuff about how, you know, God is very holy and we're supposed to do things the right way. You know, God's always talking about, you know, making this stuff with the skillful workers. So we're supposed to be putting our best effort towards God, like for God, so that, right. you know, because he's He's holy, just as Pastor Bill right. just said, he's holy and he deserves that respect. He deserves that honor. And, uh, you know, when we're talking here about, oh, and, and even in here in verse five, it talks about the skillfully woven band of the ephod. You know, God's always talking right. about the, the skill since we've been going through this whole temple series, this tabernacle series. 
God is always talking about making sure that you do everything skillfully. So I think that that's an important thing to mention as well today. When you think about the the skill levels, I mean, the skill levels that they had, the skill levels that we've had prior in America, I mean, the churches were built before the churches, boxy churches that we build today are boxy buildings of any kind. You look at an old house compared to a new house. I mean, just not saying they don't do a great job with new houses and they're probably far more plumb and square, but that woodwork they used to do, the fancy stuff they used to do, everything. You go into the arcade in Cleveland and look at the stairway and how ornate the railing is just in the stairway. And I think that we've lost some of that Mm. uh, sense of that grandeur or sense of, hey, you know, we should be skilled. We should be good at what we do. Um, I, I think it's important, to be honest with you. I, I lament it sometimes. I think about these things sometimes. I think about how what a need there is in the trades, even in our own day. You know, these people are tradesmen who are building these things and making something as simple. Somebody's hands had to make that. And they, they skillfully wove it. They did a great job. They wanted to do their best. I think that should be that way for all of us. We should always want to do the best that we can. And whatever we do, like it says in Proverbs, those skilled in what they do will serve before kings. Mm-hmm. So find something you're good at and be better at it. You know, I'd rather see somebody be great at one thing than good at a lot of things because the greatness in the one thing is what's going to set you apart. That's a fact. Well, that's not me. <laughs> I'm a jack of all trades. I do everything. But I but I know what you're talking about because actually um, it's funny. I just moved. And uh, this, the difference between the level of care that the owners had for my current house versus the previous owners of my old house is just incredible the difference because the house that I have nowadays it was built by the previous owners they put so much care and so much love into everything in fact uh, my my driveway was hand paved by the previous owners who you know he did such a unique design and it's funny because like my old house it was great it had good bones we loved it but the difference in the care that the previous owners of my old house put in is just it's a stark difference so I think it is important and you know it's it's just nice coming into a new house and being like wow they really took such good care of this they really cared about everything that they were doing in this house versus the last house when you know we'd get somebody to change something out we'd we'd bring a contractor in and they'd be laughing at my house (laughs) (laughs) they'd be like I remember one time I was hearing they were replacing the front door at my old house and and I remember hearing them I was in the kitchen they couldn't see me but and I don't think they knew I was around. But they were just like, "What is this entire house held together by staples?" <laughs> <laughs> it was just funny. But we we put a lot of care into the old house as well. But yeah, it's yeah. just I I know what you're saying there because I think that you know you can just see the difference between someone who cares and someone who does not, and the level of quality is going to go up. And yeah, I agree with what you're saying there. About a worship, I mean, as working, I mean, you, you go to work and you have a chance to serve God. I mean, it's not just about a Sunday morning thing. You know, I think of our lives and whatever we do, I want to do it great. I mean, there's some things I do that honestly, I don't really care if I get better at. I'm, I run, I try to run three times a week. I don't care if I get faster. I just don't. I'm there to burn flab and that's all it is for me. But I'm out there by myself. I like to be out there in the nature and we have a trail half mile from our house. You can run for miles on it. You hardly even any, see anyone in the morning. That's perfect for me. I love it. Yeah, I go out there and just be in my own world. But there are other things I don't feel that way about. I feel like, mm-hmm. no, you should try to do your best when it comes to doing a sermon on Sunday morning. I never, my whole life, have ever thought it's okay to mail one in. You know what I mean? Or not to strive to be praying ahead of time or to do the best job that you can do at whatever you're called to do. Because whatever we do, we do it for the Lord, right? These were They right. were doing this for the Lord. 
And so they made all the stuff and they did a great job with it, doing it for the Lord. We all work as unto the Lord. So I think it's important to take it seriously. All the things we learned as kids, at least I did, you know, leave the place better off when you're, when you're gone than when you got there. So whatever state it was when you got there, make sure it's better off when you leave uh, than it was at the start. I think these are all great things. We don't want to lose sight of it. I talked to one dude. He uh, worked on our barn roof, put a metal roof on. We had the Kirkus barn roof on the plant. It had a big cow belly in it. They put this metal roof on it. This guy's worked for hours. I just ran into him at a wedding now, two years later, asked me what I thought about him. I'm like, you guys did a great job. He goes, yeah, you got like a 14-inch difference in your height in your barn. I mean, if you can imagine trying to level that, they work for hours because he said, I wanted to be just right. I worked on that so hard for you because I wanted it to be just right. I wanted you to be happy with it. He goes, you made my day. Just like two years later, telling him how happy I was with his work. He goes, you made my day, man, telling me that. It's because we worked so hard on that roof to make it right. And I appreciate that kind of dedication and quality to what you're doing. And you think we do things for the Lord, man. We should go to work. We should be the best workforce on the planet when it comes mm -hmm. to being a Christian. Because we take yeah. it seriously. We don't care if our boss is a jerk or not. We're there. We're serving Jesus. So it doesn't matter. Well, I don't like my, you know, this, or they said that, or they don't appreciate me. That's irrelevant. We still do the best that we can every day. Yeah. And right. Paul talks about that. He talks about the uh, slaves, you know, giving their best for their masters in right. the New Testament. And, I mean, and half, the, half the population was slaves. Yeah. Teachers were slaves. slaves. Doctors were slaves. That was just part of the thing. Like, we don't think of slaves as an American slave. Think of, no, th these people were had high-end jobs and they were considered that. It's just, it's just how it was. Certain people mm -hmm. were considered free and certain people weren't. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, so I would agree 100%. But I think, too, you know, just him coming before the Lord. And again, you're consecrating because they're setting this person apart for a special work. And I think that's special, too, you know, that, hey, for this is this is a special thing this guy is doing. He comes from the tribe of Levi. Right. So Aaron is going to be he's the brother of Moses. Moses, the great one of the greatest leaders Israel ever had. Aaron is his brother. Aaron's from the tribe of Levi. They're decided that they're going to be the tribe where the priests come from. These that whole tribe is dedicated to God. They will not own land because God's their inheritance. Of all the tribes, when they go into the promised land that will get land, they never got their own specific land because they, they belong to the Lord. They were dedicated. They were there. And you think about not every priest who came here is going to be act, sacrificing animals. They weren't. These guys were spread out through all the tribes eventually. Now, it hasn't happened at this point in Exodus 29 yet, but it would in Joshua. It would later on in the book of the Judges. These priests were supposed to be spreading out because they were also communicators of God's word. They were there to truly connect God with the people, right? That's their job. That's their whole role. And you think when the Bible calls us the priesthood, you know, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. You know, you're a nation of priests. Our job for all of us is really to be out there showing God to the people, right? I mean, that's why we're dispersed in all different jobs. We're dispersed in all different towns and all different areas. We have all different neighbors. We're there to, to show a good testimony. Mm -hmm. I don't remember who says that. Was it Peter that talked about us being priests? I think it was. Um, uh, Revelation says it. Uh, Peter says we're a chosen nation. Revelation says we're a nation of priests. Yes, and we we um, yeah we discussed that a little bit about how the priests were going to go out and and spread around um, back way back <laughs> with I think it was on um, oh gosh it was back with Joseph when the brothers were all getting blessed by Israel their father, when he was on his deathbed, Jacob, he, he was, uh, he was actually like prophesying into the future about what was going to happen to each of 
his sons and the tribes and everything. And he, he mentioned to Levi, his son, that Levi and his tribe was going to spread out. So that's kind of interesting that you well, mentioned cool. that. What do you think about how bad Levi was? Mm-hmm. I mean, Levi was, <laughs> Levi, I think it was in Simeon, went and struck down the town of Shechem, if I remember it right, because of what they did to their sister Dinah. And he was, the dad was getting on him because of his anger. And I think about Levi and what he represented and how angry that guy was and the things he did in his life. And then that's the tribe. Levi becomes a whole tribe. The son becomes a tribe. Because all these tribe names are after the sons, the 12 sons, except for Joseph mm-hmm. doesn't get a tribe name for him because it's his sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, right? So they go through and he's the priest. He's still this tribe that God is going to redeem this group of people and you're going to be my friends i think it's so amazing actually mm-hmm. yeah the amount of uh forgiveness god has and care right. for those people and um you know for the tribe of levi i should say but to um conclude i'd like to talk a little bit more about verses 10 through 14 so we just kind of discussed a little bit about the ceremony that was going on um with Aaron to consecrate him before God, if that makes sense, to make him holy before God. And he had to do so many things and he had to put these uh, these items of clothing on. And now it says to do um, this, uh, this sacrifice, which was with this bull before the tent of meeting. So Bill, right. I, I have just have a question for you. So why is everything here so bloody? <laughs> What's the message regarding all this blood? Well, if you look in the book of Hebrews, you look at Jesus Christ, sorry, when when he dies, we are forgiven by the blood of Christ. I mean, literally, that blood shed by God could cover all sins. What they're doing here in the shedding of the blood, there was always a sacrifice. It was you would say a substitutionary atonement. The animal stands in for the person. The animal dies and sacrifices its life for the atonement of sins. Atonement meaning covered, meaning forgiven, meaning God doesn't see them anymore, which is awesome and what we all want. They would do this over and over and over and over again. And I would encourage you, you know, anyone who's listening, wants to know more, read the book of Hebrews. Hebrews talks a lot about this, talks a lot about the why Christ came, why he had to die why he's the it's the new covenant right that he is representing but that blood the blood of bulls and goats it says in the bible was never good enough to take away sins and that's why you had to have christ and when christ came ultimately we the bible the whole way through is teaching us that someone had to stand in our place someone had to substitute for us the animal is always substituting for the person whether the priest or the nation or the individual sinner they would bring an animal, sin offering, sacrifice the animal. That's a big sacrifice because they're losing part of their herd. They're bringing it to God, but that animal is, is sacrificing a life for the individual. Now Christ stands in our place. It's his blood. He died in my place. Instead, he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what John the Baptist said. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So that is how my sins are taken away. You can't, a lot of people have this, mistaken idea that if I'm good enough, I'm going to get to heaven. And someday God's going to, you know, kind of weigh out the scale. So if I'm more on the good side than the bad side, and let me tell you, everyone thinks they're on the good side. So, you know, that, so in their mind, everyone's going, the problem is our good works was never intended to erase sins. It's not possible. It's not an eraser any more than if you and I went robbed the bank today. And then we stand before the judge and we say, well, I'm going to be good. And he's going to say, well, that's good that you're going to be good, but it doesn't cover the fact that you just robbed the bank. It doesn't take that away. Even in America, the American criminal system, we don't say, we don't say, oh, okay, well, you were good since you did that crime, so we're not going to say anything about it. The crime is still the crime. 
our good works never erases bad works. Only Christ can erase bad works. He is my substitute. He stood in my place. And that's what we believe. That's the power of Christianity, knowing that our sins are forgiven, knowing that we can have a right standing. And there's a lot of people that I talk to, man, they're, they're broken down by things that they've done wrong. I mean, these people are hurting. And to, for them to realize they can be forgiven, man, that's powerful. Yeah, that's great. It's awesome. I appreciate that, Bill. But uh, one last thing. Could you elaborate a little bit more about the sin offering in verse 14? You mentioned it for a second. Well, they had all different kinds of offerings. They had like burn offerings and sin offerings. I mean, read through it. I mean, it's so sophisticated. But the sin offering was specifically for things that, you know, that's a guilt offering. I know I did something wrong, and I'm going to come and make sure that that's where my sin is going. Look, they, they took it outside the camp part of it. And I, again, that's the removal of sin. The sin offering was indicated to get rid of my sins. That is for the atonement. I know I've done wrong. I'm not perfect. And guess what? None of us are. Every single one of us, we're all sinners. We all need Christ. We all need forgiveness. There's all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And the sin offering is the ultimate reminder of that, right? Exactly. So thank you, Bill, so much for coming on the podcast. But before we go, do you think you could talk a little bit about your church for uh, anybody who might be curious about what you do at the church or a little bit more about your church? Oh, but yeah, we're out on 1981 State Road. It's a non-denominational church. We have five pastors on staff. Uh, we do a lot of ministries. Like tonight, we have two different Awana clubs that we'll meet. On. Well, for us, I mean, at this day that we're talking is a Wednesday. We have our Awana clubs. Uh, we're going to have a big trunk or treat on Saturday on October 23rd. I believe it is five to seven. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of kids will come to that event uh, for the church. We have a celebrate recovery ministry every Tuesday night. We have a food pantry. I mean, there's a lot of practical things that we try to do, you know, to help our community. So we're, we're super involved, you know, in the things in the community. You know, we, we kind of work together. Uh, we believe in the Bible and just stick to the truth. And uh, yeah, we all get together. We've been doing well. So thank God. Perfect. And I will drop a link to um, Eagleville Bible Church for anybody that wants to look into the church and uh, just learn a little bit more about it. But friends and faithful listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode this morning. Happy listening and God bless. God bless.